Hello, everybody. Welcome. As we continue on in our study of the New Testament, this is part number 242 of our studies, once a week studies. That means we've been doing this study for quite some time. We've been working our way through the New Testament a chapter at a time. Um, for the point of keeping things in context, I think it's extremely helpful in your understanding of the Bible. We're in Revelation 8. We're going to work our way through the rest of the book of Revelation. Um, we'll finish close to the end of the year. We'll run a little into the new year. And then as soon as we're done, we're going to start with the Old Testament, the book of Genesis. That will take us 15 years to work through the Old Testament. It takes a year to work through Genesis, 50 chapters. So um, uh, it'll be, I think, really good. So how many of you will be here for the next 15 and a half years? Raise your hands. Come on, raise them in faith. There you go. <laughs> Good deal. Okay. God willing. Amen. And then we'll do it again. God willing. We, uh, we've been looking at Revelation. Revelation is a fascinating book. Um, uh, a lot of people have a lot of different ideas about Revelation. There are several, uh, four or five main sort of interpretations of Revelation that, are, that, are hap that happen in the church today, along with probably uncountable numbers of others that, that people have sort of come up with. Um, and, and so it, at times I try and talk about what those other ideas look like. I've told you from my perspective, I, I hold to a, uh, you know, more or less to a futurist view. And what that means is I don't believe that the, the events in the book of Revelation have happened yet. Some people believe they've all happened. Some people believe they all happened at the time of, uh, John wrote it or that it happened within the next little part of church history or, uh, you know, there's, a, there's several different ways where none of it ever happened or ever will. It's just a symbol of good and evil. There's a lot of different interpretations, and, and that's all good because it's, uh, it's, it's a book, um, you know, well, I think it's a book filled with prophecy. So we're to study it. We learn from it. We're to be blessed by it. We can learn a lot about Jesus in, in just... Uh, uh, working through it. It's the book with a promise. It says we're blessed if we'll read it and study it. So um, all these things are good. Because it can be difficult to understand, sometimes I think a lot of people would sort of stay away from it. Um, or on the other side of the, the uh, pendulum swing, they get so caught up in it that they, they sort of get stuck there and can't do anything else. And, and I think, you know, both are not where we need to be. We need to, to treat it like we do um, all of Scripture. We should read it, you know, routinely um, with the understanding that we will not figure it all out until Jesus comes back, and, and that's okay. Um, and, and, you know, we hold in mind what's, what's happening in the process. Now, as we head into chapter 8, we have, um, through the previous chapters, you know, um, remember the first chapter kind of set the stage about what was going on, about what the revelation was all about, the revelation of Jesus Christ. The chapters 2 and 3 were the letters to the churches that existed at the time and um, that we can learn a lot just from those letters. And I, I said, you know, that each church was going through things and most of them got to have something good and something not so good that were dealt with. Some of them just had good and... Um, um, but these were churches. Remember, those churches were on sort of the postal route, and they were listed in the order that they would have gone to out of where the book was being written, and this, they would have, this letter would have gone from church to church to church. Um, and, and we looked at that. Some people believe that they represent church ages, and we talked about that. 
Uh, however you want to hold it, that's fine. I just believe they were writing to churches and situations that were going on, and these churches existed right around, um, right during this time, right in that area, and we can learn a lot from that. Then Revelation chapters 4 and 5 were about what was happening around the throne. We saw this amazing worship taking place, and, and angels, and elders, and the saints, and the colors, and, and sounds, and song after song, and new song after new song, and all blending together around the throne, and God was on the throne, and the Lamb was in the, in the throne room, and the, the living creatures, and the elders were bowing down and worshiping, and the saints were involved, and it was, it was amazing and cool, and we saw that happening, and then, and then the, the, the scroll came out with seven seals on it, uh, in chapter 6, and we watched the, the scroll begin to be opened, and, and as it was opened, a seal would show up, and another seal would open, which would release another wave of judgments, and we, we went through all six of uh, those first seven, and then um, we, we, we talked about that. Last week in Revelation 7, there was some other stuff that we had to deal with, 144,000, and what that means, and a few other sort of ideas, and now at the beginning of chapter 8, that seventh seal is going to be open. And when the seventh seal is open, what it does is it releases another set of judgments called the trumpet judgments. Uh, and, and so the opening of the seventh seal is actually a whole other set of these judgments that happened, seven of them. And, and at the seventh trumpet, that will release another set of judgments called the bull judgments. And so the seventh seal, in effect, just opens up and begins the, the seventh seal is the trumpet judgments. And so that's, that's going to happen as we move into Revelation 8, that that seal's going to be open, and the first trumpet's going to sound, and the first four trumpets will sound in Revelation 8. These are trumpets of judgment. Now, um, remember, as you get into Revelation 8, John is seeing things from 2,000 years ago about events that haven't happened yet, as far as I believe. So he's, he will, you will see him actually kind of struggle for words, because he doesn't know how to really give words to what he's describing. You know, think about, uh, and that's uh, 2,000 years ago. Think about what it would be for someone who, uh, say, lived in the Civil War to be transported to now and try and write back to the people that were going through the Civil War about what, what he saw when he was here. Just to, you know, how would you describe a cell phone or a, uh, you know, any of the weaponry that we have now or, um, you know, all of the things that have had airplane, you know, what, if you saw an airplane, what would you... How would you even begin to try and describe that? And they were far more advanced in the 1800s than in, you know, back in the first century. So um, John is trying to describe events that are taking place without the vocabulary to do it. And so you'll, you'll see him say things like uh, something like a huge mountain all ablaze was thrown into the sea. Well, you need to know it's, it's not a huge mountain all ablaze. It was something like a huge mountain that he couldn't figure out. He said, I don't know, how to, I don't know what to tell you. It just, it's kind of like this. Um, so you'll see that wording in Revelation, and you need to understand, he's trying to describe something he doesn't have words for. Uh, and so um, think about that as we, as we begin to move through the next chapters where, where John's trying with all he can to describe events that he can't put words to and, and uh, seeing things that are, you know, haven't happened yet. All right, so Revelation 8, 13 verses. It will go pretty quickly, um, beginning in verse 1. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Another angel had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. 
He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of the saints went up before God from the angel's hand. And then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Then the seven angels who had taken the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down upon the earth. A third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain all ablaze was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned into blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon and a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night." As I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blasts about to be sounded by the other three angels. And that's how Revelation 8 finishes. Pretty ominous, that last one. So what's going on? In verses 1 and 2, There's a silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Now, when you consider what we read about in Revelation 4 and 5 and all of the noise and all of the worship and all of the song and all of this stuff happening and and just loud and and constant worship uh, of song and that all of a sudden it goes completely silent in heaven... The 30 minutes must have sounded, seemed like an eternity. I just seem, I just can't imagine going from that to silent. And yet it says that's what happened in the heavens, that absolute silence takes place. Because what's about to unfold is a huge deal. And, um, and these things that happen are, are a big deal, and there's silence. While um, Paul, they kind of wait for this stuff to take place. These trumpets that the seven seal open, the seven trumpets are given to the angels who are standing at the throne waiting for the assignments that God has for them. It's what angels do. And these trumpets announce destruction for one-third of the people who are on the earth. They're also a call to repentance for the inhabitants of the earth. Trumpets were always used to, for attention, either to say a, as an alarm or a warning or a celebration or something, but that's what's happening. These are... Big things are taking place. Remember, the, this, this period of time now, the first, the, the seal judgments, the first six, we believe happen with a futurist viewpoint in the first 21 months of the seven years. So the, the first part of the first half, all right? Um, and then this next chunk is about another 21 months or so, um, we believe. And they might overlap a little, the seventh seal and the trumpets where they, where they begin to happen. Uh, and we've, we've seen things taking place and that even in judgment being poured out, God still remembers mercy. There's opportunities 
all along the way in the seven-year period for people to still repent. It, it's not the final judgment yet. None of these are the final judgments. And so there's still room for the hard-hearted people on the earth still to repent, and that's part of the process. Um, and, and the events which take place are clearly um, beyond what people can explain away, and yet they will still choose to not follow God. That's the hardness of men's heart. And I told you last week, that's the only thing that will keep them from knowing Jesus. What keeps people from choosing to follow Jesus is the hardness of their hearts that refuses to repent, even in the face of things that happen that are undeniably God. People still will choose because of the hardness of their hearts not to follow. I see that happen way short of this, but I see people who in situations are faced with the undeniable existence of God in a situation and yet will still choose to not, not move in that direction. And we, it happens throughout the book uh, in our Old Testament survey uh, that we're doing on Sunday nights. We see time after time where the people of God see the movement of God in miraculous ways and within a matter sometimes it seems of moments have forgotten that and are choosing rebellion instead or choosing false gods. And that, that it's the hardness of people's hearts that makes that happen. So now, in this final seven-year period, and, and, you know, whether the church is here or not, I, you know, I, I know that's greatly debated. And so I'm said to you, I'm, that's, I, I, personally, I'm believing because of the way I understand the Feast of Israel that the church is caught up um, at that, at, at a, with the, you know, Jesus at a trumpet sound to go and meet with him. It's not his return. It's just a catching away of the church. A lot of people would struggle with that, but that's okay. I think that if not, we're in here three and a half years or we're in all seven with some sort of, you know, I mean, we, we, when we know Jesus, we know that eternally we're going to be fine with him. So it's, it's not a, a promise that we um, won't have to deal with difficult stuff, but that he's going to watch over us. And we saw in that last chapter that the, the those the people that were called to evangelize in this time, that 144,000 are, are protected from this stuff so they can continue to their ministry. So my, my best guess is that we're the church, the believers, us, people, remember it's us, we, we, we get to skip this. Um, but people will be getting saved all during this process so that so they will, the church will continue on with these people that are coming to Jesus throughout this seven-year period. But still, many, many, many are going to refuse to repent. And they're going to face in ever-increasing measures these, these significant judgments that are being poured out on the earth. And so um, we get to verses 3 to 5, and it talks about a censer or incense burner. Um, and this is an item that was used in the temple in the Old Testament, and the way it worked was the censer was filled with hot coals. And then incense would be poured on them that resulted in a, in a fragrant-smelling smoke that drifted towards, you know, the heavens. And, and uh, um, this was a part of the, the worship process. You, you, uh, you will see that the whole idea of the hot coal and the censer in Isaiah 6, you know, when the angel comes and touches the coal to his lips because he's unclean. It's a, this is part of Old Testament um, temple worship. And, and here this is being used as a symbol of the prayers of the saints who are crying out to God um, for justice against those who had oppressed and killed them. And so I believe, you know, it's that group we just read about. Um, not, you know, the church, I think, is caught up and out. The group of believers that get saved fairly early on and are being persecuted uh, and, and um, by, these, by the, the inhabitants, the evil inhabitants of the earth, and they're being executed and, and all sorts of stuff is happening. Um, they're, 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 they cry out to God. Uh, and, and they're crying out for justice. And, and understand they cry out for justice, not revenge. Big difference. 
talk about that in a minute. But Exodus 37 is where that, um, the, the censer in the Old Testament is. Uh, Aaron must burn fragrant incense on the altar every morning when he tends the lamps. He must burn incense again when he, has, uh, when he lights the lamps at twilight. So incense will burn regularly before the Lord for the generations to come. So it's an ongoing process, but in Revelation, it's, it's a symbol of the, of the, the prayers of the saints. And, and when the angel throws the censer on the earth, it's a picture of God's judgment being released on the earth in response to the prayers of the saints. But, but I want to clear up the idea between justice and revenge. Justice is God's um, domain, and vengeance is also God's. And he tells us clearly to stay away from it. He says, you, you know, this isn't your thing. Because we don't understand God's justice. Because um, you never know. See, sometimes when we've been wronged, um, what we want is for the people who wronged us to be wronged back. That's, that's kind of revenge, right? That's what we want. That's what we sort of know culturally. Um, if you hurt me, I want to see you hurt, or I want to hurt you, or if you hurt somebody I love, I want to hurt you. I get all that. But God wants us to look at life differently, and, and so what we're to pray is that, that God's justice would, would take hold. Now, because the thing is... When, when someone wrongs you, you never know from where they're coming. And oftentimes people that have been hurt really badly hurt others. And, and it's, 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 it's just this process. And that, that with Jesus, they might be completely different. And so when we, when we cry out for justice and not vengeance, we're asking God to move into the situation that ultimately what we would like to see is people come to know Jesus. It's always at our heart. Because... Um, we also didn't deserve it, right? At the bottom line, we, I mean, I, I can't sit here and tell you that I haven't hurt people in the course of my life, because I have. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, the, the justice that we received is the mercy of God, and he brings us into his kingdom. Anyway, there's a big difference. So you, you need to know the prayers were the, of the saints. They were crying out for justice um, because of what had happened, but, but they were leaving it all in God's hands to do what he would do. So always in his hands. Verses 6 and 7, the first trumpet is sounded. A third of the trees and all of the green grass are burnt up. That's pretty significant. third of the trees. All, imagine the global impact that would have. Um, trees are a pretty important part of the life process. So is green grass. Um, lots of stuff eats grass. And... Um, we need the stuff that eats grass to eat grass so that we can either benefit from milk they provide or from, you know, cheeses, most of us, or, you know, meat or whatever. So, and just the amount of vegetation for those people need to eat. This is a significant um, natural disaster that happens, and, and that's the first trumpet. And then the second trumpet is sounded in verses 8 and 9, and a third of the seas are turned to blood. Third of the seas are turned to blood. Now remember in the Old Testament, at, when, the, um, when, when God was convincing Pharaoh to set his people free, that the water there was turned to blood, and it was blood. It wasn't just turning it red. It turned it to blood. Um, and, and here, a third of the sea, the seas are turned to blood, a third of them. And it causes a third of the sea creatures to be destroyed, I would guess, wherever the the oceans turn to blood. It kills the... They can't, they can't live in blood. So a third of the sea creatures are destroyed. And a third of the ships are destroyed. 
at the same time. So um, very significant deal that happens. And, you know, it, it's this, this object that's like a mountain, like on fire. You know, he's trying to blame it. Perhaps it's a meteorite. Um, something happens. Significant. We're not sure what. Then uh, verse 10 and 11, the third trumpet is sounded. This one's similar, very similar to the second trumpet, except that it affects, it affects the lakes and the rivers instead of the oceans. So a third of all the fresh water is contaminated and turned bitter, and it causes the people who drink it to die, many of them. It's poisoned. It's contaminated. It's not drinkable. Um, that's significant. You know, there's a significant percent of the world's population that already doesn't have access to good enough water to keep them healthy. It's, it's frighteningly high number. Knock out a third of the water supply and think about the ending result of what's going to happen when people don't have fresh water to drink that's, that's potable, that's safe. Um, this is another significant deal. And the, that the whole thing, the star named Wormwood, some people are looking for a star named Wormwood. It's actually a, most likely um, it ends up being called Wormwood because it turns water bitter. And that Wormwood was a herb, um, an herb, herb. It was a herb. It was a guy named Herb Wormwood who messes with the water. There was an herb. Did I ever tell you the story when I was in England? And I, we were going to stay at a hotel on there, and it was called Harrington House. This is, this is ridiculous, but just the whole herb thing reminded me. So we are going to stay at this hotel called the Harrington House. And so we had this cab driver pick us up in England, and I say, I want to go. We're going to the Harrington House. He said, never heard of it. So really? Seemed pretty well known. Got, you know, Harrington House, never heard of it. So I show him the card. He goes, oh, Arrington House. I know where that is. And I want to go, really? <laughs> you can't get <laughs> Harrington House and Arrington House and know that it's me saying it? Anyway, I was fascinated. What I wanted to say was, and you work for tips, right? But I didn't. <laughs> I, I let that go because that obviously wasn't a godly thought. But Anyway, having said that, um, this herb, it's in the Old Testament several times. This is the only place where this word is used in the New Testament, but it's eight times in the Old Testament. It describes a bitter herb that's called wormwood. And so it's this bitterness uh, that, that they're, being, they're referring to that impacts the water, and that very possibly another meteorite or something like that that hits the water or some kind of weaponry that doesn't exist or does exist and we don't know about it or who knows. But something happens in this phase and, and so think about the things that happen the fourth trumpet is sounded in verse 12 and darkness falls and darkness is often associated with the judgment of God and so um, it's, it's being evident as they start to see events that are taking place natural events um, that are causing huge having a huge impact on the lives of the inhabitants of the earth um, a third of the trees you know, a third, all the grass is burnt up a third of the sea is turned to blood. A third of the drinking waters are polluted and contaminated. And now there's the, 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 this impact that something happens with the sun and the moon and the stars. And so the whole lighting that we're used to changes. And so it's, it's really, you know, the, the daytime is a third less light and the nighttime has got a third less light to deal with. And so it, it, imagine the impact that has on all sorts of situations in the world around us. But this darkness comes. And um, 
you know, I was thinking about in, in Matthew at the cross, uh, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, this darkness came when Jesus was being crucified. Um, just, you know, there's, there's these events that happen. And then, uh, and then Jesus says in Matthew 24, 29, it's good for you to go and look up later. Matthew 24 is another good verse about things that are going to happen. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. So Jesus says things are going to be happening and Revelation, they start shaping up. Then in verse 13, there's this ominous warning of three woes that's given by an eagle that flies by that, that speaks to the inhabitants of the earth. And um, th- this... Uh, these three woes are also they're separate from the other things that are happening but we'll read about them because now what you're going to hear is when we get into the next chapters and the first woe is passed but it's the, the eagle is talking about three woes besides the seven it's a mess it's just, it's just a mess of events that are taking place and these next and then he warns them too of the, the next three trumpets are going to be worse these first four trumpets are, all affect physical things the next three are all spiritual in nature and have a significant impact on things that are happening. So um, we'll, we'll start getting into those in the very next chapter, but that's enough to think about today. For, I think it's fortunate that Revelation is written in very short chapters because it, it's, it's a lot to sort of think about and, and to try and digest about what's going on. So we get to take it in sort of chunks that we can deal with. But that's enough for today. So now we're, we're moved into the second 21-month period in Revelation, we've, we've moved through the seal judgments. We're into the trumpet judgments. Four of the trumpet judgments have happened, and we'll pick it up next week with number five. And we've had this big eagle just fly over and say, whoa, 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 to the inhabitants of the earth. Pretty big deal. All right, good enough for now. If you've been watching on TV or video, thank you. We appreciate that, and uh, have a great night. God bless you guys.